Tiny Books with Aaron and Polly. I'm Aaron. And I'm Polly. Welcome to episode 77, being a perfect number. It is. Well, is seven the perfect number? It Why is. is seven it is the a, perfect number? Seven's a per- there are seven signs. Ah, that's true. That's right. I see. There are seven days in the week. Mmm. Seven of nine. You know what I'm talking about. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I get it. I get it now. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, how has your week been? Good? You know, strangely, very much like last week. Ah, ah. almost exactly almost like last exactly week. Almost exactly like last week. In fact, Except- if we were to be honest... <laughs> Because we, we did learn the lesson last week that we do not lie to our listeners. So uh, we are <laughs> recording we this week's podcast all of about 15 minutes after concluding last week's podcast. Indeed. Because indeed. I'm at the normal time that we would be recording these, I'm off at Gen Con. So uh, when this episode drops, I will have just gotten off a plane uh, returning from Indianapolis. So You know, one thing I've been meaning to ask you. Did you see the new Green Lantern animated movie yet? I have not. First Flight? Yeah, First Flight. I have not seen it. I, you know, I, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll confess, uh, one of the things, I have a TiVo, and so I use the Amazon Video On Demand quite frequently, and they haven't made that available yet to rent on, hmm. on Amazon Video On Demand. You can buy it, but you can't rent it. Now, you know, uh, on a lot of those movies, I don't necessarily want to own them. I just want to see it. Yeah. Know? So, uh, you know, I, I don't want to go spend, you know, the, what, 12 or $14 to buy the disc when I can spend it, when I can spend $3 and just watch it. So, yeah. No, anyway, I just, I'm, I'm waiting to, to be able to, to download it. Well, you're a smarter man than I. <laughs> <laughs> I actually bought it on Blu-ray. And, you know, it's because I'm kind of a completist. I actually own all of the DC animated movies, all these recent Warner premieres. Yeah. Um, that started with Superman Doomsday, I owned them all in Blu-ray, except Superman Doomsday. So, as much as I hated that film, I actually went and bought it on Blu-ray. Superman Doomsday? Superman Doomsday. Okay. I went and bought a film I hated on Blu-ray. Just so that you could have the whole set. Well, just so I could have the whole set. And one thing that they really do to kind of sucker me in is that they put Justice League episodes or classic Batman episodes or Superman episodes on the Blu-rays. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, Green Lantern has a couple of Green Lantern-centric episodes, including, uh, you know, the season finale of Justice League that had them cross over with Batman Beyond and things like that. So, you know, I, I will say... Out of all five of the DC animated films, the recent ones, uh, let's it starts with Superman Doomsday, Justice League, The New Frontier, uh, Batman Gotham Knight, Wonder Woman, and now Green Lantern. Not a damn one of them was worth the $25 <laughs> I spent on the Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I really dug – I'd say out of, my, out of all of them, Wonder Woman's my favorite. Yeah, and I haven't seen that one yet. I, You know, I, when, I, when I first – went and looked to see if it was available for download yet, uh, it wasn't. And I haven't gone back and looked because, you know, I just hadn't, wasn't on my mind. Uh, but, you know, I have to say, I did not care for Superman Doomsday in the least little bit. There oh, was it was the, atrocious. Yeah, it was really bad. Now, you know, along the lines of DVDs, one of the things that gets me suckered into buying the DVD, particularly on the Marvel movie releases, not the Marvel animated features, but the live action films mm-hmm. is all of the DVD extras that they'll put yes. in. And really what I really like is not the making of the movie, but they'll talk about, they'll do these great little documentaries on the history of the comics, you know, mm-hmm. involved. So while I really disliked the Ghost Rider movie, the Ghost Rider extras were outstanding. Yeah. Same thing with yeah. Iron Man and the Hulk and uh, uh, Spider-Man and, you know, fan- Fantastic Four, as terrible as that movie was, <laughs> you know, the the uh, extras on it were terrific. And so it's almost worth it to me to buy the disc so I can get the, the writer commentary, because that's always what I'm interested in, is, you know, I, I really could care less what the actors have to say about the film. I'm really very interested in what the writers have to say about the process of writing the script or what the comic writers had to say about the process of creating the comic. Yeah. And, you know, I'll say that the I, bu- I did buy 
the Hulk versus DVD. Mm-hmm. And the extras on that were very good. I enjoyed yeah. the extras on that. You know, and I'll say that about the D- the DC animated films. Excellent extras. Yeah. And typically because these are based on specific storylines. Right. You know, you get the writers of the storylines talking about the storylines. Um, and Green Lantern First Flight, not a bad film. Yeah. Um, you know, but the extras are all about Jeff Johns. Oh, that's cool. They have a documentary on Blackest Night. They have a documentary about Jeff Johns' run on Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it, they're all about Jeff Johns. I mean, of course, they talk to you know the original creator of Green Lantern and things like that. Um, you know, they they even have a long documentary that's quite boring, to be honest with you, about the symbolism of the ring in literary lore entirely. Oh, God. God. You know, know, it talks about, you know, avatars and things like that all throughout literature. But, you know, I I picked it up on DVD, and I spent 20 bucks on it. The film itself, you know, like I said, not worth it. But I'm, I'm just a sucker for documentaries and things like that on, you know, uh, comic book guys and comic book folk. In fact, this week I also picked up, and I picked it up before August 1st. You know, I uh, I started effective August, starting to put a limit on how much I spend on my purchases, my fun purchases. Uh-huh. So <laughs> I kind of <laughs> spent a hell of a lot July 31st. Hey, yeah, you had to uh, get it out of your system, huh? <laughs> yeah, because I picked up the, uh, the Batman Anthology on Blu-ray, which is the 1989 through 1997 Batman films yeah. with snazzy new covers and all sorts of cool documentaries about the films and about Batman in general. You know, the original Batman films by Tim Burton in Blu-ray. Right. So I'm looking forward to watching those. You know, and the reason I brought up Green Lantern is because... A couple days ago on Twitter, I was uh, Rob- I've started following Robert Kirkman on Twitter. Oh yeah, uh, writer Robert Kirkman of Walking Dead and Invincible, things like that. Right. And he was asking, you know, is it good for a young viewer? And you know, it's really not. You know, it's got profanity, it's got violence, things like that. But really, the reason I bring this up is because it got me thinking about. You know, what is good, you know, for people who aren't really familiar with the comic world, you know, what what are kind of good graphic novels that they could just kind of, you know, pick up? A couple weeks ago, we talked about good floppies to pick up if you haven't been in the comic store for a while. And one of the biggest areas of feedback we got is, well, you know, floppies are great and all, but, you know, what can I pick up at Barnes & Noble? What can I pick up at Amazon.com as far as trade paperbacks? You know, right. the, you know instead of limiting ourselves to floppies, what... What are some of our favorite trade paperbacks, and what are some things that you know new readers could really get into? Well, and I know that uh, one of our readers had commented that you know don't be that guy who's who's starting out in comics and buying the first piece or just a piece of the story, whereas in, in trade paperbacks you can pick up the entire story, yeah, you know, all at one time, and you know really kind of do that deep dive into the story versus okay, well I bought the about the first issue of this this month, I'll wait four weeks and I'll get the next one. And you know, over that five to six months, you know, course of time, you get a full story. Whereas in a trade paperback, you can go have it right now. Immediate gratification, my friends. Yes. Immediate gratification. <laughs> <laughs> so what we did is we took we 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 went out and we we went out we went to our our comic room. <laughs> well, we we pulled back the head of the bust. And the, the, the you know library wall turned and we slid down the poles to the man cave where the, our you know archive of comics exists. Indeed, where we record our podcast surrounded by stacks and stacks of unorganized comics. And giant double life-sized posters of uh, Olivia Munn. Ah, exactly. <laughs> and even Olivia Munn. Olivia Munn is here with me today. That's right. Uh, sitting on your lap, I believe. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> So you know, we no comment there, huh? No comment. <laughs> she would get mad at me. I don't want her to leave. That's right. She might try to escape. She's a very private person, that Olivia Mon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want her to mess with the tape over her that's, mouth. That's right. No. Um, <laughs> you know, we chose our top three graphic novels slash trade paperbacks that really would be great for not only new readers but existing comic readers looking. You know, might want to check these out too because they're. Excellent reads, 
just a hell of a lot of fun. Maybe not all fun, um, but definitely worth reading. Definitely worth picking up. So you know, and let's go ahead and start with the caveat that we have excluded two books in particular from our list. That being Watchmen. Yes. And Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns. Yes. Okay. And you know what I did? Ex- I did exclude a third one. Oh. Um, and not because it's as good as those, but I, I excluded Preacher for myself. Okay. I wanted to include the Preacher not graphic novel, but it is such so limiting in its audience. You know, I, I wanted to do something gen- generally more audience friendly. It, it's a very offensive title. You really have to overcome a lot of your personal beliefs to, to get into something like Preacher. Sure. And whereas though I love it, I wanted to also present things that other people would love as well. Very good. Well, uh, we each picked three books. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about my criteria. Uh, for picking, what I did is I just walked over to my bookshelf and close your eyes and just reach <laughs> forward and just reach and I kept picking up JSA anthologies. Uh, <laughs> um, I went over to my bookshelf and I looked over what I had, and you know, essentially I just thought of myself as 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 having a friend in the room saying, "Hey, I don't read comics. Tell me which trade paperback I ought to read." And so I picked three books that I think really kind of exemplify some of the best that comics has has to offer. And the first one that I've got is a book called Mouse, M-A-U-S, by Art Spiegelman. You you may have heard of this if you're into comics at at any level. Um, It is a Pulitzer Prize winning book about uh, uh, a son writing about his father's uh, World War II experience. Uh, the, the family was uh, Jewish and uh, did some time in concentration camps. And, you know, th- there's a layered story here in the mouse books. And it's called Mouse because, you know, it's uh, anthropomorphized. The uh, Jews are mice in the book. The Nazis are cats. The French are frogs. You know, er- everybody is a, is a different animal. Each race is a different type of animal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it, it does make it a little less gruesome and horrific in the storytelling, but it, this is a book that I generally venture back to about once a year or so to reread. It is a, it is a fantastic, very personal journey about surviving, you know, this, this horrible thing in the Holocaust, as well as a, a, a man's relationship with his father. You know, Art Spiegelman is a character in the book, um, he is the one who is documenting these stories. And as he's documenting the stories, he's getting to know his father more and understand why his, his father has been the way he is. You know, he's essentially uh, a, a malfunctioning man, his father. And, you know, as he learns more about his time in, you know, Nazi Germany and, and, you know, dealing with World War II, he learns more about who his father is. And it is, so it's very personal on one side, and then it's also a history lesson on the other. And I, I think everybody should read this book. And this is one of those books, you know, we've talked before about, you know, required reading. Um, I think this is a book that ought to be, you know, taught in high school history classes uh, or junior and high history. And what's funny is in some high school history classes, it is. Is it really? You know, it, it just requires a little bit of forward thinking. But yeah. Well, maybe not high school, but I've definitely seen it on the college level. Yeah. It, it, is, it is a fantastic book. The, the artwork is really it, – it, it seems simple, but it is lovingly rendered. It is you know, very – it's all black and white. Uh, has that look of an underground comic. You know, it looks like something maybe more from the '60s, like a like a like a crumb comic in in places, but it is very effective. The story is told with so much respect, uh, and you know, you can just it, it just breaks your heart to read this book, and yet it is so uplifting and and instructive. I. I I love this book. And like I said, I, I come back to it. It's one of those books that you know every year or so I come back to it and reread it. So this uh, Mouse by Art Spiegelman, M-A-U-S, A Survivor's Tale, it's also subtitled uh, My Father Bleeds History, is just a terrific, terrific book. If you haven't read it yet, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. You should get out there and pick that one up. And you know what I think we'll do for our uh, listeners is if you're listening to this through our website, ideologyofmadness.com, well, well, what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to have links 
at the bottom of the podcast to order these books from Amazon.com. Of course, we want you to support your local comic book shop. Um, if you don't know where it is, definitely check that out first. If you are an Amazon person, you like to order things off of Amazon, those links will be there for you as well. Very good. So, Paul, you've got one for us. Yeah, on the complete opposite end of the, I guess, the spectrum here is Invincible. And um, the reason I chose Invincible, and uh, I'm going to specifically reference either the Ultimate Collection Volume 1, or you can start with Trade Paperback. The Ultimate Collection is basically a collection of two trade paperbacks, but in a hardcover, oversized format. Uh-huh. If you're going in the trade paperback format, book one is actually called Volu- um, I'm sorry, Family Matters, whereas in the hardcover, it's the Ultimate Collection Volume 1, which is a large, I guess it's 12 issues worth of a comic book under a, a pretty hardcover. Invincible is written by Robert Kirkman, uh, and it started with art by Corey Walker. Now it's Ryan Otley. Well, Ryan Otley, I think, picked up maybe four or five issues in, maybe six issues in. Maybe seven issues in. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a superhero book, but it's not your typical superhero book. I don't want to go into too much of spoiler territory for those who are unfamiliar with the Invincible storyline, which is, you know, who I'm specifically speaking to here. But, you know, if you like teen superheroes, you know, if, if you like things like the Spider-Man you read as a kid, where Peter Parker had real-life problems and girlfriend problems and things like that, you know, friends and roommates and you know you actually saw a character grow and evolve and have a character arc that's what invincible is you know despite what marvel's done with peter parker and taking him back um kind of retrograding him i guess invincible keeps is moving forward and i think they just had issue 60 something Uh, so it sounds intimidating but you can pick them up in these ultimate collections and get big chunks at a time um you know robert kirkman's created this little superhero corner of the universe um and invincible's kind of like the main character of this universe and what he is he's a teen superhero um as we start the book he is just coming into his powers and his father is like a superhero a superman type character called omni man right and you know so he he's He's really waiting for his powers to come, and they come slowly, you know, as he's, you know, um, becoming a teenager. And, you know, it's it's about him getting into that superhero lifestyle and, you know, meeting different superheroes and understanding the government agencies. There's a S.H.I.E.L.D.-like agency in the book. And really, it's just a lot of fun. It's not necessarily appropriate for all ages. There is a, a, a decent amount of violence in the book. And what about nudity? Is there is there plenty of nudity in the book? Uh, unfortunately, no nudity. Oh. No nudity in this book. Uh, may, my next choice. My next choice <laughs> um, uh, will be Lost Girls by Alan Moore. No. Oh okay. yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, no nudity, but there is a, a, a decent amount of violence, and especially in the Ultimate Collection, there's a big twist about halfway in that I don't want to ruin for you because if you've not read Invincible, it is a huge twist. And it leads to a very violent fight scene that is, it's not only really violent, you know, there's impact in the violence. It's not violence for violence sakes, but it's, it's good superhero storytelling. A lot of people go into comics who are trying to get into comics don't necessarily want the superhero stuff. They want some of the more serious stuff. Sure. You know, but if you're going in to comics because you want fun comics and you want comic books that, you know, have superheroes and have big action and adventure... You can't do better than Invincible. What other superhero can you get in on the ground floor and not have to read 300, 400, 500 issues? And that's just of the main titles, not including all the the subtitles and things like that. You know, there are 60 issues total, and you can start at the beginning, pick it up in trade, and get all the way caught up, and then read it in floppy. Highly, highly recommend Invincible. You know, it's and this Ultimate Collection, you know, like I said, it's 12 issues of comic book, and then probably like another 40, 50 pages of sketchbook and backstory and explanation on oh, why wow. the characters are designed the way they are. Um, you also get the script for the first issue, a cover gallery. One thing I've always liked about Robert Kirkman is that he always has something to say, and he likes to 
he's he's very honest. He'll say, you know, I don't like Invincible's costume, or I don't like so and so's costume, and I'm going to change it. You know, or you know, I I created this character and had all these plans for them, but then I didn't like them, so I killed them off. And you get a <laughs> lot of that here. You know, he's very honest. Um, so I really, you know, if you're if you're looking for good superhero storytelling, Invincible: The Ultimate Collection Volume One. So, uh, what was your number two? My number two, and you know, I, I should clarify that it's not my second place item; it's just the second item. Um, but it's one of my favorite stories uh, in the last several years, and it is DC's Identity Crisis. Now, don't let that crisis word fool you, friends. It's not part of the Infinite Crisis. It's not uh, Crisis on the Infinite Earths. It is not even uh, Final Crisis. Final Crisis. It is. It has that crisis title, but this is actually a murder mystery. It's a very small story. And what I love so much about this book is that, you know, it's not about all the Earths are converging on one another, all the universe and multiverse and all the gazillion different Earths are all crashing into each other. And life as we know it and life as we imagine it is about to just explode. That's not what this is about. This is about a murder and about a secret kept from friends and the impact and betrayals that occurred around that, that secret and that murder. And it, it is, you know, it is a self-contained story. And this little story told by Bra- author Brad Meltzer, uh, who is also a novel writer uh, and a very talented novel writer at that. I, I love his books is rolls out from from these pages and has a tremendous impact on the rest of the DC universe. And uh, this book is so good. It number one, it's just a good mystery. I mean, you're actually going through, you know, all the the pages of the book wondering, well, who did this? When you find out the secret that has been kept and you know the people who are betrayed, you know, you you ask yourself, "Oh, lordy lordy, how is that going to play out?" This is just a terrific book. I, I can't say enough good about it. And I, I have the hardback with the Joss Whedon uh, preface. And then, you know, there's a, there's a nice little piece in the back about uh, casting identity crisis where, you know, Rags Morales talks about the inspiration for the different uh, characters, you know, and how he, he illustrated them. And then, you know, there's kind of a, almost like a director's cut or a director's commentary in the back with Brad Meltzer and Rags Morales dissecting uh, Identity Crisis. So there's a, not, a lot of really nice bonus material here. You know, there's a, there's a huge funeral in the book for the character that is murdered. And the funeral is so lovingly illustrated. In fact, the entire work is. I mean, there's just nothing in here that seems shortcutted or ill-thought. It just the the whole the whole package just works so well. Anyway, it's a, it's a wonderful wonderful book. Uh, I I think anybody could come and read this book. You know, I, I think what you need to know about the characters is right there on the page. You know, I think you and I had talked about on a previous episode that, you know, you didn't know much about The Elongated Man or Sue Dibney and some of those characters. But that the book, you know, number one, the writing in the book is such that you immediately care about them. You know, the, the, the writing in the book is such that you're introduced to the characters fairly quickly and you understand how they interact with one another. Yeah, and you know what? I want to second that recommendation, really, because it's a great great book you know the like you mentioned the art by rags morales is really very well done and you know i i know there are going to be some who disagree with me but i think it's a game changer in the same way that watchman was a game changer yeah except that this one was in continuity in the dc universe absolutely agree you know when watchman came out i think it was not intended to be in the dc universe but it was intended originally to be different characters right um but you know they couldn't use those characters you know i think this is like the Watchmen of the DC universe. Uh-huh. I, you know, I really think, you know, some of the stuff that they've done informed by it, mm-hmm. not necessarily as good, mm-hmm. you know, some of the follow-ups to it, but it, it led to a lot of great things as well. And the story itself is just fantastic. Oh yeah. I mean, I bought this in floppies and then bought it again in the, in the hardback. And this was actually one, you know, we've talked before about, you know, how I kind of buy my trades on Amazon. Yeah. Um, I bought this from my comic shop and, you know, I, I, I wasn't willing to wait. I wanted it the day it came out. 
<laughs> you know, I, yeah. it, it was, it was that important to me because that was, that was how good this is. And you know, those, those stories that are that strong and that are that moving, you know, I just feel compelled to have them on my bookshelf as opposed to hiding in my long box. And you know, I, I bought this in the hardback and I had probably read this thing four times since I got it in the hardback. Wow. You know, not inclusive. And, you know, again, it was one of those stories in floppies that I went back and read, you know, before I got the hardback and read it a couple of times in floppies because I just, it's just that good of a story. And I did the exact same thing with Watchmen. So, you know, it's, it, it, th- those kinds of stories call out to you. You recognize them when you see them. And I have not met the person yet who read Identity Crisis and just didn't love it. And having said that, I know we'll have five comments on the blog saying, you know, well, I read it and I hated it. But you know, <laughs> those people, you know, all need to get back on their medication. Just <laughs> and you know what? That's a good point. If you're listening to the show and you have suggestions that you think are better suggestions or you agree or disagree, you know, leave a comment on the blog. Let us know what you think. Particularly if you disagree with Paul. We want to hear about that. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so that we can bash you in public. No, <laughs> Paul, what was your next book? My next book. Completely on the opposite end of the scale. Again. Uh, again, you know, because we don't really read the same books, obviously. <laughs> Danger Girl. Now, um, I See, I used to buy that in floppies. See, there you go. God, that, that's such a pretty book. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Those girls all seem so smart. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, Danger Girl, the ultimate collection. Um, I have the hardcover. Oh, I, yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's available in softcover now. Uh, good luck getting a hardcover. Uh, well, you can probably get it on eBay. Danger Girl, the Ultimate Collection, written and with art by J. Scott Campbell, was one of the big Wildstorm titles when Wildstorm first came over to DC Comics. Uh, Wildstorm was started by Jim Lee uh, at Image Comics and came over to DC Comics. They changed their name to Cliffhanger temporarily. And they started Danger Girl, which was J. Scott Campbell, Crimson uh, by Umberto Ramos, which is another excellent tale. Some third piece of crap that I didn't read. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was probably great. I just Oh, uh, Battle Chasers by Joe Matter, Matterera, uh that never finished. So... Oh. Great, great, beautiful stuff on that book, but don't even bother because it never finished. Ah. Whereas Danger Girl was a six-issue miniseries, start, middle, beginning, or middle, beginning, and end, beginning, middle, and end. And it's like a female James Bond mixed with Indiana Jones, but done in like the older James Bond style, not the new born identity James Bond style, but in the Roger Moore type style, you know, lots of big action, cool set pieces, explosions, beautiful women. Um, but again, with a bit of Indiana Jones to it, because, you know, there's a lot of globe trotting and treasure hunting, things like that. Yeah. Um, and even a little bit of G.I. Joe in there. You've got ninjas like Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow doing battle. Ultimately, you know, what the book is known for is for all the beautiful half-naked women. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. at you know, beautifully drawn. It, the the it's not only you know not just because of the women, but the story is just gorgeous to look at. You know, yeah. J. Scott Campbell. You know, this book was plagued with delays. I think there was a year between the fifth and sixth issues. See, and I don't think I ever finished the series because of the delays. I think I read up through like issue three, and never read beyond that. Not for yeah. not for you know lack of interest. It was just you know once things get delayed, you forget about them. Mm-hmm, absolutely, yeah. it, it's it's a lot of fun. It is, yeah. you know, if you're if you like that type of storytelling, and if you like that type of storytelling, you're probably really going to dig that GI Joe movie that came out this week. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really just a lot of fun. You see a lot of, you know, it, it's yes, you know, you can get lost in the cheesecake. You can enjoy the beautiful women, you know, all that. But really, it's just it, it's well written. You know, it's smart and it's funny. It you know, it, it has all the beautiful women, which you make you know, you think, oh well, it's going to be a stupid title. It's not. It's it's funny and it knows it's a fun, stupid adventure. Right. You know, it involves you know, robot Nazis and like I said, ninjas and Russians and you know, it, it, it's like a 
imagine, you know, they took all the Roger Moore James Bond films and threw them into one book. Right. It's a lot of fun, and I really highly recommend it. You know, the Ultimate Collection has an introduction by Bruce Campbell. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the characters in the book was based on his on Bruce Campbell. You can see he looks just like Bruce, a younger Bruce Campbell. Right. A lot of stuff came after this in the Danger Girl stuff in the Danger Girl series, but without J. Scott Campbell's art, I just wasn't interested. Right. But as far as this six issue miniseries, and maybe it was seven issues, I think it was six. You really just can't beat it. It really just doesn't get better than this, as far as fun comics and good comics to just kind of jump in and enjoy. Uh, you know, as a new fan of you know of comics, you owe it to yourself to go find one of these books and open it up because boy, the the artwork is just something else. It is awfully, awfully pretty. Yeah, you know, and I haven't read the book in a couple of years, and you know, I, I took it out to to look at it for the show. I'm going to reread it. it yeah. It's one of those books that you can read, and when you're done with it, you'll actually probably want to go back and reread it immediately because it's yeah. just that fun and it's so exciting. It's. I wish they would make a movie of it. I know they made a video game that I enjoyed, uh, but that was way back PlayStation One days. So you know, right. it, it the book's a couple years old, but it's a lot of fun. Really, pick it up, uh, and you know we're gonna have the link on there so you can pick it up. I, good luck getting it in a comic shop nowadays. Oh yeah, uh, I know the rights have been picked up. I think by IDW. I think you're right. I think I read uh, that. the Danger Girl stuff yeah. uh, and reproduced collections. So it might actually be easier coming up soon to find this collection. Sure. Sure. Well, you know, and and, and I'm glad you you recommended that, Paul, because, you know, as you were talking, I was like, yeah, I never did finish that. I'm probably going to have to go check that out myself. See, there you go. Yeah. See, you know, these recommendations are good for me, too. (laughs) So you had uh, one more, one more. I do. And this is another one of my favorite reads. And, you know, one of the things about the books that I I chose is I wanted to make sure that it was a, a little something different for each one. So, you know, I chose Mouse, which was, you know, uh, a, a personal story of, you know, almost personal horror about, uh, World War II and, uh, life in the concentration camps and then moving on from there. And then, you know, identity crisis involving those DC heroes. And my third book is by Paul Chadwick and it is the complete concrete. And, uh, concrete is, is, uh, has been published under the Dark Horse banner for years and years. Um, concrete is a character who, uh, he was a scriptwriter for a senator. Uh, the character was, I want to say his name was Roger. <laughs> and uh, he goes out hiking one day, is abducted by aliens. And long story short, he winds up in some kind of alien concrete-like body. Uh, so he's kind of like a, a moving stone thing. But this isn't a superhero book. You know, it's not about him out there f- fighting crime. It's about being trapped in this body. And, you know, having a, a human's needs, wants and desires and wanting to to live as a human and, you know, being trapped in a body that he can't do that. Like, for instance, he doesn't have sexual organs, you know, so, you know, he can't do anything. But he, he does have these, you know, heightened abilities. He doesn't have to breathe as regularly as we do. He has super strength, heavy endurance, that kind of thing. And the complete concrete chronicles the first 10 issues of the series and, you know, shows him, well, you know, if I can't do these things that I'd normally do as a person, you know, have a family, uh, fall in love, that kind of thing, I'll go, I will live an extraordinary life otherwise. So in one story, he decides to climb Mount Everest and it's the challenge of, of doing that. And, you know, he works with like the geographic society. Um, in another story, he works, uh, as I think a bodyguard for a, uh, uh, a rock musician, you know, who's, who's had his life threatened. He, you know, does all kinds of different things like this and just trying to live an extraordinary life. You know, he's having to keep his secret. The government, you know, doesn't want people knowing that he is wearing the body given to him by an outer space alien. So they have to tell the world that he's actually a robot. (laughs) And, you know, hidden his, his previous identity that he's some kind of sentient robot. But the book is, it's, while it, you know, kind of tells this, the life of this very extraordinary character, it does talk a lot about the human condition and, you know, what it is to survive versus what it is to live. And he, you know, he, he still loves, but, you know, he doesn't have a physical way to express that. 
the the book again is is very personal, uh, similar in tone, in certain tones to Mouse, but you know obviously not as heavy as Mouse, uh, despite the name of the book, Concrete. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, you know, it, you know, he walks across the bottom of the ocean, you know, he saves his friends from this and that and, you know, and still is, you know, book by book, he kind of learns a little bit more about, you know, what his body means, uh, what, you know, what was the purpose of, of that the aliens, uh, you know, put his brain into this body. So anyway, uh, an awfully good set of books. Again, this is a book that I come back to frequently. My, my softbound copy of the complete concrete is well worn. I have read this thing a gazillion times. Now I will say, I don't think this book is in print. You can still get it from Amazon through various sellers. Um, you won't get that happy Amazon discount that you're used to. Uh, but I did see, I looked at it just a few minutes ago and I saw that there were still copies out there, just not available directly from Amazon as the seller. Um, Paul Chadwick kind of rebooted the concrete story several years ago. And so he retold the origin story. And so the origin in the second series of books is a little bit different than the uh, current origin or the, the, the original origin. And I don't care for the reboot. The reboot's just a little too slick for me. And I, I, I like the, the warts and bumps of the original. So I'll stick with my original 10 series. Thank you very much. But there are a number of other trades out there for the concrete character, and all of them are awfully good. There is one uh, uh, about eco-terrorism. There's uh, another one about you know a serial killer. Uh, just very interesting books. And, and, and I think what Paul Chadwick does is he'll just kind of see what's going on in life. And then go, hmm, how can I turn that into a concrete story? And he does it very effectively. And, you know, he, uh, in the, the complete concrete, the, the book is black and white. And his pen and ink is better than most people's pen and ink. It's a very, very uh, effective use of, of, uh, of lights and darks. And uh, in my college days, we would have called that chiaroscuro. But uh, uh, very, very, very... Uh, great sort of uh, storytelling that, that that he affects there. Paul Chadwick is a, is a really accomplished artist, and uh, his newer books, he uh, you'll see more color work that he does. In fact, the front page and the back page of this book are painted by Paul Chadwick, and the guy is just a terrific artist. Very very different than what you normally see from from our artists today. Uh, you know, uh, not a bunch of, you know, digital work. I mean, these are clearly, you know, watercolors that he's done. Uh, just, just very, very, and I, I hate the way I'm describing that very, very, and really, really, but uh, <laughs> I, I awfully, awfully good book. So I highly recommend The Complete Concrete by Paul Chadwick. Great. Now, you said that was the first 10 issues. Yes. So not really complete. <laughs> well, I, and I think I think it's the first ten issues because it was the uh, it was like a, a mini series. It was the first volume of the story, and I gotcha. think that's why they call it complete. Gotcha. Well, speaking of complete things, uh, my third and final choice is Bone. Bone. Bone uh, by Jeff Smith, and I've talked about it before on the show. I've talked about it before on the blog. Um, Bone by Jeff Smith is, I think, a 60-issue long series. However, what I'm recommending today is The Complete Bone, which is complete. It is a massive, massive tome of all 60 comics in one book. I know there have been comments on our site, Ideology of Madness, from readers who have picked up the book based on a recommendation and absolutely love it. No matter what age you are, there is a lot to love about Bone. Um, now, what Bone is, it's about these three brothers. Well, not their, their three cousins. There's Phone Bone. <laughs> phone Bone. Phone Bone. Phony Bone. And Smiley Bone. And they're all drawn very, you know, Walt Kelly, classic Disney type. Uh, in fact, if you really want to think of them this way, Phone Bone would be Mickey Mouse. Phony Bone would be Donald Duck. Smiley Bone would be Goofy. Um, now, imagine you took Mickey, Donald, and Goofy and threw them into the Lord of the Rings. And that's what Bone is. You have these three characters who 
they've been kicked out of Boneville, you know. So actually, smiley or uh, phony bone would be more like an Uncle Scrooge, but a young Uncle Scrooge, okay. Donald Duck and Uncle Scrooge. So that duck type Disney character, right? He was the richest bone in Boneville, but he got that way because he was a sleaze bag. Yeah. So they get kicked out of Boneville, and you know they're they're looking for a place to stay, and they get attacked in the desert by locusts. So it you know trying to run away from the locusts, they end up coming across this valley where you know they're very char- cartoony, you know three foot tall characters. They meet up with realistic looking people, right? Um, you know, and it's a you know like a like I said like a Lord of the Rings type storytelling, like a medieval times type valley. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where they meet up with Thorn, a young girl named Thorn, and her grandma. And event, and basically what happens is, you know, they're in this little village, there's cow races, and trying to, you know, them trying to live their lives in this village, and Phony Bone trying his get-rich-quick schemes. Um, you know, the, the second storyline of the book is called The Great Cow Race, because Phony Bone has Smiley Bone dress up as a cow, because he figures he can win the cow race, and Phony Bone can collect all the the winnings um but it evolves you know it starts off very you know innocently but there's a slow build-up until you know eventually these rat creatures these giant rat creatures attack the village and even more so than that it starts building up that you know there's the lord of the locusts and all this has you know since the beginning, you know, you think, oh, well, this, you know, he's making it up as he goes along. And no, the hints have been there the entire time that there's this giant, you know, this, this, you know, this monstrous villain, the Lord of the Locusts, and he wants the bones for some reason, but also Thorn is tied into it in some way, as is Grandma Ben, you know, as is, you know, the, the, the dragons who have been hiding for years because of something that happened in the past. And it's, it's this big sprawling fantasy epic that you won't see coming in the first couple of issues but you know as you read it it makes sense you know there really is a an actual build-up you know it takes its time getting the story going you know so that you can fall in love with the characters and really see where it goes you know and it's absolutely breathtaking the art on it i think jeff smith on a good year, he got about five issues out a year. You know, and he he started out. He worked, I think, at Disney at one time, maybe not, but he did work in animation for a while. Got out of animation, and the art style of Bone, at least the characters, is heavily influenced by like Pogo, uh, you know, classic storytelling. Um, you know, but at the same time, you know, his humans are drawn very realistically, and it's all black and white. They do have color versions uh, printed by Scholastic, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the entire series has been reprinted in color, but not in a one-volume edition. And uh, I'm speaking specifically for the one-volume edition that is all in black and white. The art style is, like I said, it's absolutely breathtaking. You know, big, sprawling epic should have great art, and it does. You see two-page spreads of castles and the valley, and I don't think there's a weak issue in the entire storyline. Right. You know, and, and it's kind of funny because you think, well, how do these... You know, they're they're little, just all-white type guys, you know, who look, like I said, like Pogo. You know, how do they fit in with these realistically drawn humans? And it just works so well. And it, it it's almost has like a, you know, how everyone had, you know, how, how Battlestar Galactica had the, uh, the All Along the Watchtower, and everyone wondered how that worked, you know, how All Along the Watchtower had anything to do with Battlestar Galactica. Right. It has a similar theme in Moby Dick. Phone Bone's favorite book is Moby Dick. And you wonder what that has to do with the storyline. And it's really just extremely well done. You know, you're going to find a lot to love in this book, no matter how old you are. It's a great book for kids. Um, You know, the storyline does get a little violent and intense at the end. You know, it, it does... You know, without going too much into spoiler territory, you know, it does, you know, there uh, there is a giant war that eventually happens, um, you know, and people do die and characters do die. But it's it's really good for all ages, and especially for adults who can see some of the things that Jeff Smith is trying to do. Yeah. You know, if you're trying to get kids into comics, start with Bone. If you are new to comics, go to Bone. You know, if you've never read Bone, just buy it. There, I, I can't find a single person who would not love Bone. You know, when Bone first started coming out, 
I didn't pick it up. And the reason why I didn't pick it up is that, you know, just looking at some of the promotional artwork from it, it kind of reminded me of Cerberus the Aardvark. And, you know, well, it was heavily, you know, they're, they're, Jeff Smith and um, whoever created Cerebus. Dave Sim. Cerberus, Dave Sim. Yeah. Were friends when Bone first started. They did have a falling out eventually. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I could see how they were informed by each other. Well, and, you know, I have, I have always enjoyed Cerebus the Aardvark, but the stories have just, you know, always been, you know, beyond the first, you know, probably 20 issues or so. The stories became rather convoluted. And, you know, while the artwork was just beautiful, I think Dave Sim is a, a tremendously talented artist. The stories just got so complex and, and, you know, wordy and, you know, really sort of pretentious mm-hmm. that I was just like, man, I don't want to read this anymore. And if, you know, if, if a, if a collection like Bone was ever to come out for Cerberus, you know, something that was, you know, a massive collection and at a real affordable price point, because right now the, the, the trades for Cerberus, I don't think, are, are priced well. Um, I'd pick those up because, like I said, I've always enjoyed Cerberus. I just kind of got out of it because it just wasn't meeting my need. And But yeah, I kind of discounted Bone like that. And so I remember – I have never read a single issue of Bone. And I remember when Bone was adopted by Scholastic Books. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, how could that be? You know, and I, and I guess I, I had never caught on to the fact that it was, you know, kid-friendly. Mm-hmm. You know, not that it's a childish book, but that it would that it would not have content offensive to children, and so I, I'm I kind of marvel at that, and I just marvel at how huge that you know one volume edition is for Bone, yet how affordable it is. Yeah, it, I think it's what twenty three, twenty nine bucks on Amazon. Yeah, twenty six, I think, is what I just 26. saw. Twenty six. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, halfway in between. Yeah, but I mean I, that's. It, I, that goes to my point of when you've got a lot of people in your in your audience, you can bring your price down. And you know, we were talking about that a couple of weeks ago. Where the reason why we've got four dollar and five dollar comic books is we've got very few people who are buying them. Yes. And you know, you you see the breakthrough where you've got Scholastic Books, which means that this book is in front of every kid in America, um, you know, to have the opportunity to read it. And that's how you got that price point down. Yeah. And, and and I'd like to see more of that. And you know what's funny? What's hard about Bone is to to track the numbers because I was reading, you know, with Jeff Smith that the hard thing about tracking the numbers on Bone is that like those reading is fundamental things that happened at that happened in elementary schools and middle yeah. schools, they don't track towards the actual sales. You know, it's hard to keep track of those. And, you know, Bone sells a lot at those. But, you know, this is sold all over the world. It's printed in multiple languages. And we're talking about one series. It's not like a Spider-Man type character where, you know, Japan has their own Spider-Man comics or anything like that. Bone, the book, is printed in many different languages. And not only that, you know, it's got the black and white and the color editions. And millions, absolutely millions of Bone books have sold. Yeah. You know, I I don't know if it's you know I mean there are comics that have sold millions of copies before, not in a long time. Oh yeah, but I'd say you know since I I would venture to say Bone is probably one of the top selling comics of all time. Yet so many people haven't actually read it because it's a comic book. Right, right. Well, you know, it wasn't until you started talking to me about it, Paul, that I was really interested in uh, reading Bone. Because like I said, I'd kind of discounted it as, as something else, but you know now I'm I'm like oh I got to pick that up. So you know you you sold me. I'm on it. <laughs> well, those were my three options, and those were Aaron's three. Yeah. So you know there I, and you know I look at this list, and you know I've never read Invincible, but I'm very interested in Invincible. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to read Danger Girl. I just never finished that story. But I can I, I agree with your recommendation on Danger Girl, and I'm excited to go out and read Bone. So you know, just those three that you've recommended, I'm awfully interested in those. Yeah, and I'm not going to read any of your crap. No, yeah, well, you know, hang it in your ear, Paul. Hang it I, I will, in your ear. <laughs> I will pick up Concrete. I'm, I'm actually very interested in that, and I've always wanted to read Mouse. In fact, I think I own Mouse, uh, but I've never read it. You know, it, yeah. it's it's a book that. I've always kind of been afraid to because of its subject matter. Right. You know, it's such a serious subject matter, but I definitely think I'll give it a read. That's um, okay. Okay, so uh, 
continuing in our line of what if we were writing, this week we ask the question, what if we were writing the X-Men? So, Paul, tell me what's wrong about the X-Men right now. There's so much wrong in the X-Men right now. Um, and I think what's, in, what's wrong with it is its inaccessibility. There's about a dozen X-Men titles, and that's just regular titles, not including all the little miniseries. Mm-hmm. You don't know where to begin. You don't know where to start. You don't know where's a good jumping-on point. If there's a good jumping-on point, you know, it, and there's so many characters. You know, we're probably, you know, there's supposedly only 200 mutants in the world, but about 60 of them are X-Men, apparently. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's just, it's hard to keep track of all of it. Right. Really... I don't even know. You know, I picked up the recent Messiah Complex storyline. You know, I, I enjoyed the hell out of that because I know who the characters in X Force were, and it crossovered with Cable, and so I only had one mutant to keep track of in that one. Um, you know, but ultimately, there's a new storyline coming called Necrotia, which is looks to be the X Men version of Blackest Night. You know, oh, dead nice. characters returning from the, you know, the, the, apparently, you know, the, the, the thing is the dead will rise, really. Yeah. Um, you know, but I'm very interested in it. However, you know, it seems to be involving more X-Men titles, I guess because Messiah Complex was a hit. You know, they're going to keep X-Force, but cross over with more X-Men titles. Right. And that discourages me because I just, I don't want to pick up so many X-Men titles. Yeah. You know, I like... If I were writing the X-Men, you know, it would probably go back to a core of two teams. Yeah. You know, I, I would say one team, but, you know, I, I think it worked best when it was two teams. Yeah. You know, I loved it when it was just Uncanny X-Men. Don't get Same wrong. Same here. Yeah. Chris Claremont, Jim Lee, Uncanny X-Men. Oh, loved that stuff. Absolutely loved that See, stuff. I was going to say Chris Claremont, John Byrne, but... <laughs> Same premise. Same yeah. premise. Um, but, you know, when it split up and it was X-Men... And Uncanny X-Men. And you know what? Wolverine was only on actually one of the teams. Right. You know, Wolverine was on X-Men. And Uncanny X-Men was led by Storm. Uh, it had Archangel and Iceman. Uh, art was by Wiles Portacio, Wills Portacio. Yeah. You know, and Jim Lee was on X-Men. You know, I loved that stuff. And I would go back to, you'd have X-Men and you'd have Uncanny X-Men. I don't even think there is a comic called Uncanny X-Men right now. Oh, really? Yeah, I think it's you know they have a def, you know a bunch of different X Men, but I don't think there's one actually called Uncanny X Men anymore. So beyond having just two books, uh, how what would your what would your book be like? What kind of stories would you tell? Well, I'd have two very different kinds of books. I'd have five, no more than five members on each team. Okay. Okay. And of course, you know you can't get away from having Wolverine. I love Wolverine as a character. Wolverine can be on one of the teams. You know, but I'd have Uncanny X-Men be more of the larger superhero type storylines. I'm sorry, I'd have regular X-Men be the larger superhero type storylines. The type of stuff that Claremont used to do. You know, traveling to the Savage Land. We haven't seen, you know, and we've seen Savage Land, but not like it used to be. Not as fun as it used to be. Right. You know, fun, big, adventure type storylines. You know, the stuff that you'd like to see, you know, someone like J. Scott Campbell draw. Just big action adventure you know, going to the jungle, going all over the world, going into space, that would be X-Men. Right. Uncanny X-Men would be almost like X-Force is now. They'd be almost the down and gritty team. Um, in fact, I'd, I'd almost prefer to see Wolverine on this team, you know, but some of the darker characters, this would be like the darker book, you know, for, that way you feed both needs. You have everyone, you know, everyone can enjoy X-Men. If you're looking for something a little darker, you have Uncanny X-Men. Right. And you could have like Archangel on that team and you know, they they be more of the covert operations and, you know, dealing with um, maybe some supernatural aspects or things right. like the brood. Right. You know, uh, you know, monsters like the brood, you know, th- they would be just the darker storylines. And mm-hmm. I'd love to see it, you know, continue down just those two paths. You could have other mutants. Not every mutant needs to have his own book, you know, or miniseries. <laughs> you know, I mean, it'd be great if some of these characters, I mean... I love Deadpool as a character, but you know how can I miss you if you don't go away? Is basically my yeah, thing behind. Exactly. It. Yeah. If you're if you're never here, if you're always here, how can I miss you? 
Yeah, I mean, an yeah. appearance by someone like that or Gambit, you know, I wouldn't yeah. have Gambit on either team. You know, they'd be a special thing because it would just be a guest star. You'd see him every, you know, maybe once every 10 issues or, yeah. you know, just every once in a while, you know, put a little bit more mystery behind some of these other characters, especially really right now, if there are only 200 mutants, it would be great if only 10 were superheroes. Sure. You know, and, you know, maybe maybe there's a search for the others or something like that. You know, it, it just really would be preferable if there were less X-Men. And, you know, they told some fun stories again. Yeah. You know, and I don't necessarily know if it's just the X-Men's fault, you know, but the Marvel uni- Universe in general is just not a fun place right now. Yeah. And I'd love to get a fun X-Men title again like it was in the Claremont days. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, my favorite uh, X-Men books were of that Claremont-John Byrne era where, you know, they were just – they were they were mutants and, you know, certainly there was some discrimination, but it wasn't, you know, the – the civil rights issues that are currently that are always seem to be thrown in their face, you know, yeah. in those books. Um, but the, the 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 books, you know, really were high adventure. Always something just really whacked out happening. You know, you kind of described some of my favorite things about the X books. You know, like the Savage Land and you know fighting the Brood. You know, th- those Brood issues that Paul Smith illustrated were just outstanding mm-hmm. you know absolutely love those books so uh one of the things that you know i was i was thinking about you know if i was going to write this book i would find a way to restore the original death of gene gray i don't know yeah. how i would do that but you know i would go back to issue 137 and and make uncanny x-men 137 you know stand back up as the way that story resolved and that there were no reincarnations and that jean gray is dead dead as a doornail dead 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 (laughs) (laughs) you know she didn't come back she is dead i would again i i wouldn't have you know the multiple x books I'd really kind of limit that, at least for a while, so that people wouldn't have to hunt down. I'd look for the same kind of tone that Joss Whedon had in his Astonishing book. You know, uh, with the exception of that dreadful turn he made into the Danger Room stories, uh, yeah. those books were fantastic. Yeah. You know, I, I, and, I, and I would try and keep that sense of wonder. There are some characters that I would not have in the book. I wouldn't have Professor X in the book. Yeah, um, I, I really, yeah, I think his stories have been told. I'm sure that uh, some some writer uh, more talented than myself could find another new interesting story to tell about Professor X. But I, I'm not interested in that character anymore, and I'd, I'd like to see somebody else. In fact, I'd love to see Cyclops kind of graduated up into that role as the mentor. And then, you know, I know he's kind of done that in both the Grant Morrison books and the, the Whedon books, but, you know, more of an official, you know, Cyclops really doesn't go out and fight stuff anymore. He's the guy who kind of runs things at home. You know, he, yeah. he's the guy that runs things back at the Institute. Um, I would, one thing that I would lift out of those books is the overwhelming mutants are a second class citizen. Yeah. I am you know, and- so sick of that storyline. It was so bold. In you know, God loves man kills, and you know I appreciated it for what it was, but you know that was, good God, Paul, that was thirty years ago that they told that story. Yeah, it was, you know, and in fact, uh, Paul Aponte's X Men number one first order of business: mutants become legal citizens, and that's it. Mutants yeah. are accepted. Done. Done. Yeah, you know, done. I want well, superheroes. And how ridiculous is it? I mean, I understand what Marvel's telling there. I mean, it was a way to tell middle America. What if you were a black guy? What if you were Hispanic? What if you were that disenfranchised, uh, uh, minority in America? And now it's very much become, you know, we, we've changed that to what if you were gay? This is, this is the way, you know, uh, disenfranchised people are treated in America. And I appreciate that. But really, I'm kind of tired of that being the only story the X-Men have to tell. You know, it's that there is so much that the X-Men spends their time on we're discriminated against, yada, yada. And, you know, it's really, you know, simple for me as a homo sapien to say that about homo superior. You know, I, I'm just I'm just tired of reading those stories. You know, and I think that they lose their impact when you tell them all the time. It's kind of like you were saying with Deadpool. How can I miss you if you're always here? I, I want to see you. I, I want to see those those kind of stories ebb away. We didn't see a whole lot of that 
and Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men. And look at how much we enjoyed that series. Yeah. You know? Now, you know, I, I will say, like you said, the Danger Room storyline I thought was bad. And I thought Joss Whedon's storyline, I don't know, I think it t- took a little longer than I ex- wanted it to to get where it was going. Right. But it had a lot of good things about it, um, you know, including the space aspect. Yeah. You know, and as far as art is concerned, you know, John Cassidy, great, great artist. Uh, I think I would probably go back to something more of a John Byrne, Jim yeah. Lee, comic book style drawing for X-Men. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I want a superhero book to look like a superhero book. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, and, you know, I keep trying to think of what would my team be. And, you know, sadly, I, 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 I love the nostalgia of, of uh, Whedon's lineup. You know, I, I love Colossus and Kitty Pride, and you know, uh, Wolver- Wolverine and Aurora, and I mean, just all of those characters, you know, lined up. I just it's very nostalgic for me. But I understand that you know you can't do that and appeal to the next generation of readers. So I'm not yeah. really sure who my lineup would be, but I know the tone of the stories that I'd like to tell would be more superheroish. And you know, to, to go back to our point about you know the mutant discrimination, I, the thing that I've always found a little ridiculous about that is everyone can accept a Spider-Man and a Mister Fantastic and a Thing, but they can't accept you know the guy that shoots lasers out of his eyes. Yeah, I mean, there's more than two hundred <laughs> non-mutants who have super powers. Yeah, you know, why discriminate against just the two hundred that you know are mutants? Exactly, exactly. That, that, that weren't exposed to a radioactive spider. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, and it is hard. You know, how do you think of a lineup? You know, uh, I, I wouldn't have Gambit in my lineup. I wouldn't have Rogue in my lineup. Um, I'd probably keep Storm, you know, but going with my idea, I'd have her probably on the darker, the uncanny X-Men. Right. Maybe as the lead of that team. You know, if we're going to go with Cyclops as more of the Professor X figure, who would be like the field leader on the X-Men team. It, it, it's it's very interesting, and it's hard, because there's so many characters, and right now, I don't know who's dead, who's alive, <laughs> you know. Do you uh, realize, if we were going to do this, how many back-issue, bad X-Men comics you'd have to read to get caught up? I don't even want to think about it. That's enough to keep me off the title. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry, John, Joe Quesada, I'm not going to be able to write your book for you. Yeah, not X-Men. Just saying. Not X-Men. Just saying. You know, I, I'd have Beast in there, because uh, I, I love Beast. I like Beast. Beast. I even like the cat Beast. I, I know that a lot of folks didn't care for what Grant Morrison did with the character. And, you know, obviously not a fan of Grant Morrison. But I actually kind of like what they did with, uh, you know, his additional change where he became, you know, a, ca- a kitty Beast. Yeah. And you know what I'll say? I will say that I would keep Beast maybe even out of the field. I would keep him probably, you know, just like Cyclops, you know, he would be the science guy. Yeah. You know, maybe yeah. he would go on missions sometimes. Right. You know, I, I like, I like actually like the White Queen being part of the X-Men. Mm-hmm. I, I've actually enjoyed that. Yeah, I have too. I, I, you know, my, really my experience with her is a few of the Grant Morrison stories, certainly all of the Joss Whedon stories, but yeah, I enjoyed her on there as well. I thought that was a nice evolution to the character. I would return to the Hellfire Club as a as a uh, big villain for the series because I always mm-hmm. thought that was kind of interesting. Um, I, I there is a story that I never felt like was fully finished back in the uh, uh, Claremont run with John Byrne, and that was the villain Proteus, who is Maura McTaggart's son. He was only in one story arc and was, you know, killed with italic marks, <laughs> with quotation marks. You know, uh, I, I never bought the fact that he was dead, but, you know, I don't think he's ever shown back up. And Proteus was a guy who could um, he could absorb your your life force. And, you know, he's sort of a, a you know, a, a vampire kind of character and, you know, just just killed everybody he came in contact with. And it was just a great character. Plus, he was Maura McTaggart's son, and it was it was a really nice kind of emotional stake in that story. That that would be a story that I would revisit. I would like to you know have something else happen with that character and bring him back into current continuity. I mean, I, I, I there's so many X Men. I mean, like I said, we've been out of the loop for so long. I, you know, I love Iceman. I don't know yeah. what the hell he's doing right now, but Iceman would be part of my X Men team. Oh yeah, I, I thought he was missing from the Joss Whedon run. I I love yeah. Iceman. Mm-hmm. Well, and plus he can always chill your martini for you, so it's good to have that kind of guy around. I agree. Or yeah. your beer, or your beer mug. That's right. Hey, this is getting a little cold. Can you frost me up? Thanks, dude. Your aces. 
<laughs> You're like, on the team. <laughs> <laughs> Hired. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I, I I think that my my X Men book would see the X Men a little bit more legitimized and appreciated, you know, and kind of work them to like Avengers status, and not make them a duplicate of the Avengers team, but at least have a story arc where where people are like, hey, you know, maybe the X Men aren't so bad. Yeah, you know, maybe they're all right, and bring forward that kind of you know understanding. I mean, I, I don't want to ignore those stories of you know mutant hate. But it sure would be nice to show that the world can change. It doesn't always have to be so adversarial, and you know we don't always have to keep Homo Superior down. Frickin' muties, dirty muties. I won't live <laughs> in a neighborhood with them, just saying. Just saying. I mean, no mutie is dating my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> so, there you go. We can do it better than they can. But I don't want to have to go back and read all those things, so I'm just going to reboot it back to 137. Uh, it, I, I'm glad they've kept it out of the dark rain. For yeah. so long, uh, well, I know recently they've been, you know, they they have a crossover X Men versus Dark Avengers, blah blah blah. So I, I know they're fully involved at this point. Uh, I I think they kind of need to be on their own for a while. You know, you can have, uh, and maybe it's just in general. I want the Marvel universe to go back to simpler times. Sure, I, I and you know I certainly want the X Men to go back to simpler times because I, I I find the the you know continuity around them right now rather impenetrable. I agree. Yeah. All righty. All right. Well, another good show. Yeah, excellent. Uh, anything else, Paul? No, I think we are good for today. Well, then we are ready to sign this one out. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Oh, and if you get a chance and you are listening to this not through our website, go ahead and check us out on www.ideologyofmadness.com where you can hear us talk about, well, hear us, read us talk about comics pretty much every day. Pretty much every day. Every damn day. That's right. All righty. Thanks a bunch, y'all. Bye-bye. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. tape over her mouth.